This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, hello there. I'm Matthew McConaughey. and This is Dirt and Sprague. Let's ask the question. How often do we ponder the depth of... Andy Dirt Johnson. As you settle in under the covers with your head easing into the pillow and your body sinking into the mattress how often do we ponder the depth of brandon sprague i mean how often do we really feel what's happening within and around us allowing ourselves to be moved to be inspired to be filled with gratitude for the mystery and the beauty of dirt and sprague on 1080 the fan Feeling calm, Duck fan? Huh? Feeling calm. Feeling zen. I have to go to the bathroom now. It's making me actually have to take a piss. <laughs> you hear the sound of it. I gotta take a leak, man. That's what you're getting out of this? Well, yeah, I have to go to the bathroom. I've consumed a lot of liquids already. Uh, welcome in hour number two, Dirt and Sprague here. My eyes just got very heavy again. Did they? I don't know if that's a good open to play this early in the morning with people <laughs> driving to work, man. We need people awake on the highways, not falling asleep. I just loved the hello. This is Matthew McConaughey. Like, I just love, like, wait, what's going on? Let me tell you a lullaby. A lot to get to here in the second hour of the show. Uh, We'll get to Oregon State's win over the weekend, some other college football dealings. The Pac-12 championship game, boy, that path is interesting. This weekend is going to be bananas, man. Bananas. Huge weekend in the conference. UCLA, USC, and Utah is at Oregon. You said something in hour one. I... Maybe I misheard you because sometimes you talk and I'm looking up some stats. Uh-huh. Did you say you didn't th- thought Oregon ran the ball well? In the first half, they didn't oh, run the, the first, in the first half. half. Okay. okay. Yeah. You said that, and I, th- I heard didn't run the ball well, and I'm like, I thought they did run the their, ball pretty their well. Their offense was just super clunky in the first it half. Was. They were out of sorts and out of rhythm. And for as bad as Washington's defense had been this year, that to me, like a lot of this is going to go on the defense, and a lot of it's going to come down to the fourth down call, which we're all going to, you know, of course, we're going to talk about. Sure. But I, I think a, an undiscussed aspect of that game is that. Oregon's offense has bailed them out all season long. They have, in every game since the Georgia game, scored 40 points or more. And if you score 40 points this game, what do you do? You win. 
So if their offense would have shown up the way that it had all season, we knew that was what Oregon's strength is. We knew that's the side of the football that they were going to rely on. And it's one of the reasons why as this season has gone on, I've grown more and more confident in Oregon's ability to win these games because I trust their offense and I trust their offensive line. For them to only have 10 points at the end of the first half, to have a fumble inside the five-yard line, yeah. uh, that I think they lost the game there. And instead you're playing catch up the rest of the game and their defense couldn't get a stop. You know, I, I'll give you my, my thing too, like 37-34, it's a great football game. Could have easily gone either way. Penix comes up with big throws and big plays, and there you go. Washington wins at Oregon, right? Pulling off the upset as a double-digit underdog and the higher or the lower-ranked team than where Oregon was. You know what stood out to me? I was a little surprised and impressed, actually. I thought Oregon's pass rush inability to be a little more disruptful to Bo Nix in the passing game, to what they were doing, that popped. Now, that doesn't mean Bo Nix was sacked eight times, but comparatively to other teams that Oregon has played, I was not expecting Washington to be able to kind of do what they did on that defensive line. Again, Oregon ran for 312. They had a great day on the ground statistically. Bo Nix, how many times was Bo Nix sacked? Uh, I don't think he was. I don't think he was He was under pressure a lot in the first half. And I think that was the surprising thing in the first half, especially because it was such a low-scoring affair. It was 13-10 to at the half. Yeah. Oregon's defensive line getting pressure. You mean Washington's defensive line? Or Washington's defensive line, excuse me, getting pressure and making things uncomfortable for Oregon on the offensive side. That really stood out to me because we haven't seen teams do that uh, largely all year. It's the best offensive line in the country. Statistically, they might still be, but Washington, I thought, did a really good job defensively of making that a little more difficult than I thought it would be. You know, I'll, I'll say this, too. I think every time uh, you're spot on, though, like Bo Nix was uncomfortable in the first half, and a lot of it had to do with the pressure that Washington was creating, and we know that's not an easy thing to do against Oregon. I will say, too, like I think for a first-time coaching staff, you, you're going to learn things as you go on, and there's going to be things that pop up during the course of games that maybe you wish you would have done differently. And Kenny Dillingham has been amazing for Oregon this year. There have been basically no criticisms of him at all. There was a couple, though, for me early in this game. Like, everybody, when you watch your team, when you turn a game on, whether you played football, like, we all know there's moments where you're executing at a high level and moments where you're not clicking for whatever reason. Like, you just have one of those weird games that you're just out of sync. The timing's a little off. Your offensive line isn't as good as it's been. Maybe you miss an open receiver. Maybe a quarterback holds onto the ball too long when he should have released it earlier. Like, there's just little hints and signs that, you know what, we're not – we're not fully clicking right now. And I think Oregon was that for most of the first half. And I think they got too cute in times when they should have just said, you know what, what's our bread and butter? Our bread and butter is running the football. Our bread and butter is our offensive line. Let's do that. Washington can't stop it, and we're going to pound the rock. They had the play um, that I mean, ended up being a huge play. Now it evened out because Washington turned the ball over inside the five-yard line later in the game. But that was a 10-3 game in the second quarter. You drove all the way down to the two-yard line. And I, I have the video of it five feet away from me on my phone because I thought, hey, I'm going to take a cool video. I'm standing right here. They're going to score a touchdown. It's second and goal from the three-yard line. And you went swinging gate. You went cute. You went window dressing. And in games that you can feel like your team's executing at a high level and there's no timing issues and things are clicking, yeah. I think it's okay to do that. Oregon didn't have that vibe in the first half. And so you go swinging gate. Washington knows you're not going to call a play out of that. And all you're doing is forcing the offense to rush back together. And I look up, 
is everybody's coming back to the line of scrimmage, and there's like five seconds, four seconds, three seconds on the play clock, and all of a sudden it turns into a rush of like, all right, we got to go, we got to go, 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 go. Everybody get lined up. Boom, you fumble the snap at the two-yard line. Washington recovers it. And what did Oregon do on the very next drive? That was the only stop that they had basically all night was an ensuing drive. They forced a punt. They get it back in plus territory, and they essentially ran the ball on every play and scored a touchdown. They said, you know what, enough of this crap. We're getting too cute. Hand the ball off. Hand the ball off and run it, and they did. They scored a touchdown, and they at that time tied it 10-10. I think there were moments in that first half where they, they – just got a little too cute and said, hey, you know what? We're not executing at a high level right now, especially in the passing game. What's our strength? Let's run the football and make Washington stop us. I think the tough thing about that is, um, I don't know if you're wrong. I think the tough thing, though, is like games like this are very teachable moments for a young coaching staff. I mean, you've got a 32-year-old play caller. you got like a 36-year-old head coach. These are things they're going to learn from, and we'll hear from Dan Lanning in just a minute, but these are moments that you hate to say this out loud because it, it basically is the result of losing to your rival at home, mm-hmm. right? But they are moments where you call it getting too cute. Maybe Kenny Dillingham would agree with you on Monday. Maybe he'd go, you know what? Yeah, I'd probably just kind of line him up and you had second knock and him right in the third face. and half an inch to pick right. up a first down, and you went swinging gate, quarterback sneak, and you fumbled the snap. And I wonder how much of that is just. Um, for lack of a better term, like a Chip Kelly influence, right? He said this during UCLA week. Chip Kelly was a hero to him. He was young when Chip Kelly was up and coming with Oregon and having this success. And you can see a lot of similarities in the way their offenses operate. And that swinging gate, I mean, he's done this before, but they do those formation shifts where you go, oh, God, that's like Chip Kelly and Oregon back in the day. Maybe you're right. And I, I, I just I think the hard part to basically walk away with is, We'll see if you're right, because I want to see, and I, I hate to say this, but like that's those are things you take and you note and put away and say, do I see that again this year? Yeah. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will. I don't know. I, I think it's very teachable. Washington's ability early. This is kind of when I, I, I never like to try to get ahead of myself on opinions or thoughts during the game because it's football. Washington, in, in their 10 games, nine of their 10 games, they've opened uh, with a, a scoring drive. The only game they didn't was Oregon State. When they went down the field and they got that touchdown, I told myself, I took some notes, oh, was this kind of what they needed? Did they need this in this environment to say, no, 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 that's not us. We're a score first team because they got it. And what they were really good in, I know this goes to the defensive side here and the offense let you down, the defense was just kind of baffling. I mean, how many third down pickups did it feel like Penix and Washington right? And it wasn't just like third down. It was third and long. They had a third and 18 on their first drive, and Mace Funa was a free rusher off the edge, and it looked like he was going to get a huge sack, and he spun out of it and ran for a first I mean, they down. had third and 10s, third and 14s, third and 18s. Yeah. It just and, – and, and that was reminiscent, I thought, of Oregon State-Washington where the Bees put him in third and longs, and it just didn't matter. Like, Penix and that receiving group are just really special in that way. Mm-hmm. They create a lot of separation. They're incredible playmakers. And it's it's tough, man. When you set the tempo that way, it kind of sets everything. It lifts the team up. And I thought their opening drive was huge for the momentum. Um, but Oregon had their chances too, man. Oregon responded to it. They came right back. You had a back-and-forth battle in the second half of that game. It's a combination of things, I think, for Oregon. I thought the offensive line kind of – let him down a little bit in some plays. I thought Bo Nix, I mean, he wasn't good for most of that game. With like three minutes to go in the first half, I looked up because I was like, they haven't been executing. He had 38 passing yards was, with like three minutes left in the first half. They couldn't do anything in the passing game, no. and, and the defense was just bleeding. So 
when all those combinations happen, and you look back and go, yeah, well, I guess it's tough to win those games. <laughs> when you got all those things going against you. Yeah. That was a tough part in the second half because as clunky as their offense was in the first half, the second half offense was dynamic, explosive, and the organ that we've seen, right? I mean, they came out and scored 24 points in the second half. They were hitting big big shots down the field to Thornton, to Franklin. They were running the football in a dominant fashion. Like, they executed the way we've seen Oregon execute the entire season. All they needed was one stop. All you needed was one time to come up with a stop, to force a pick uh, a little bit earlier in the game than they did maybe in the third quarter. And and I think you score another touchdown and you have the chance to put that game away and put it on ice. So for as bad as the offense was in the second half, they picked it up. Or excuse me, in the first half, they picked it up in the second half. And all of these things that we're saying, everything around this game, how bad your defense was, how good Penix was, like all of that. You add in the fact that if you execute a snap on second down from the five-yard line, you're winning this football game. I, I mean, that, that really killed that drive. They get the interception, which was the gift from the football gods. It evened out the Bo Nicks fumbled snap inside the five-yard line in the first half. You're up 31-27, to 27, and you then go on a, what is it, a 20-play, 91-yard drive in which you burn 10 and a half minutes off of the clock. You got the ball, and you essentially took away the entire fourth quarter. Yeah. You went from your one-yard line all the way down to the five-yard line. They could not stop you the entire drive. You were running the football. They threw two passes the entire drive, two of them. They were, they were screens. So no shots down the field. It was just, we're handing the football off. You're not going to be able to stop it. They did it over and over and over and over and over again, all the way down to the five with a four-point lead. And if you don't have a high snap on second down that then Bo has to jump up and catch and spike that then puts you in a third and longer than you would have been because you were falling forward for three or four yards. It would have been third and two or third and one. You're picking that up. And then you have Bo Nix get hit, whether it was an ankle. I don't know what the injury diagnosis was because it looked like, from my vantage point, it was a concussion. And then I guess it was an ankle, so I don't oh, even know what it was. It, it looked like an Achilles on TV. Achilles, like it just didn't, yeah. From he my, got up dirt and he walked like KD walked. Like, hey, something's weird happening. And then he sat right back down. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was a hedge because he ran, he hit into a safety in the hole, and I thought, okay, he's just do, he's woozy. I thought it sure. was a concussion. He sits down. If he doesn't have to go out of that play, you're going for it on fourth down, and you're probably picking it up because you would not have had a negative rushing play the entire second half. You were averaging almost seven yards a carry. So all this around it, that I think is what hurt the most is that you had the game in your hands. You had the drive that Oregon that you had against UCLA, right, to put the game on ice. And if you score there a touchdown, not a field goal, and you go up by 10 with what would it have been, three minutes to go in that football game, it's over. I mean, Washington probably scores immediately after that, but then you can run out the clock and the football game's over. So as bad as you were, you were a weird snap and a quarterback injury away on your biggest possession from putting that game on ice, and it just didn't happen. And even further beyond that, you guys, biggest thing for me, uh, two things really in the game, but to the extension there when you had to bring your backup in on Ty Thompson and there's no confidence really in him actually running a legitimate play and just basically running the ball and trying to get the first down that way, forcing the slip by Bucky Irving. It puts them in that position. You know, you're unfortunately dealing with an injury. I get it. But the fact that they don't have a quarterback that they actually have the faith in to call a real play in that three and out just sucked. That hurt them. And then further back in, you were talking about the first half too. Super frustrating. This was like watching the Ducks go from I made the joke on Saturday, elite to defeat. They look so good, pulling all the stops out last Saturday against Colorado, and then mm-hmm. they try to get a little tricksy, go for that onside kick after they score to tie yeah. the game at 10-10. Yeah. That was not the right time. In fact, I don't think at any time should they, unless they were down trying to get back up or, or tie the game, called for an onside kick against Washington. They were not playing great in the first half. They did not look like they were in sync, and it was just... 
it, it, I don't know. I feel like they were Washington planned for that, and they were stepping right into a landmine. It was like, hey, see what they did against UCLA to try and get that extra point, yeah. get that extra possession. Washington was looking for that, and it was like as soon as their guy going back on the kick return saw that double stutter step, oh, oh, they had him, and they read it right away. Yeah, I mean, there were little things. You guys have both alluded to two plays that I noted, and there's obviously the fourth down play. Let's get to that a little bit, the coaching side of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because – they, the, the Ducks were flying high going into this game, and, and now they've stumbled a little bit, and Washington gets the win. You mentioned Kalen DeBoer, big win for him. He did something I thought was controversial, too, uh, early in that game. So I want to get oh, to the, yeah. the coaching <laughs> aspect of this game, and we'll get to that next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Dirt and Sprague here. We have uh, two tickets for six sessions of the PKI and Phil Knight Legacy Men and Women's Basketball Tournament at the Moda Center, Memorial Coliseum, and the Child Center this November. Ooh, it's like two weeks away. You can text in at 503-250-1080 to enter for your chance to win. Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text and drive. Visit 1080thefan.com for complete details. Text PKI to 503-250-1080 now to get entered for your chance to win tickets to the six sessions. This is November 24th. Through the 27th, again, at the Moda Center Memorial Coliseum and the Child Center. My favorite thing of the weekend was somebody trying to jump in my mentions on Saturday to pile on Oregon losing. which mm. is all, and I enjoy those tweets, so keep sending them. But he added Oregon basketball losing like that was going to hurt me. Who did Oregon basketball lose to? I have no clue. But I guess they lost on Friday. <laughs> I was like, College I, basketball's not a thing yet. Stop <laughs> making it a thing. That's exactly it ain't what a thing I yet. thought. Come like, on. Come on. I, no, no, we're not there yet. I saw a uh, battleship basketball game out at Par West <laughs> Golf. I got my clubs regripped, yeah, and I'm, uh, we're out there just drinking beer talk. And I look up, and there's a battleship basketball game with Gonzaga and Michigan State. <laughs> the Gonzaga Those are fun. One. No, they're not. Why? <laughs> Michigan State had to shoot into the sun. The sun was setting on their side. <laughs> oh god! And there was nothing blocking it. You baby basketball players, toughen up! All right. No, we're indoor people. That's why all football games should be domes. I'm fascinated by those kinds of special <laughs> events, like the the midnight football game in Alaska for high schoolers. The you know the battleship games where they play a, a basketball game in a football arena. I love that kind of stuff. Um, we're talking Oregon and Washington here. Let's get to the coaching angle of this. Okay. I thought you guys were in a good shape from this angle. 
Kalen DeBoer had an opportunity at fourth and one deep in Oregon territory. Oh, yeah. It was seven to three, their second drive of the game. Seven to three, fourth and one. And they had a penalty. And they ended up getting backed up. And then they had a penalty to had a chance to move them back up. They got a penalty again. And it put him back at fourth and one. He had two opportunities at fourth and one to go for it. And he didn't do it. He took the field goal. And I, I specifically wrote, did he just lose them the football game? I thought the same exact. I said to Dusty, they, they, remember this decision. And ironically, they ended up winning by three. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> so DeBoer ends up being the genius of genius. I would have put his, pulled his post-game audio, but I'm just going to tell you right now. One, we can't upload audio in our system because welcome to Odyssey Portland right now. And two... They interview these guys, I guess, at Oregon and Oregon State games, to be fair. They interview them in, in like, wind tunnels, and yeah. there's no real setup for the visiting team, but there's a great podium for the uh, home teams. I couldn't really hear his explanation, but I thought that was a really stupid coaching move by him. He is a damn good football coach. That mm-hmm. is evident. They're eight wins. They've doubled their win total in year one. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a bad call. But bad calls went both ways in this game. <laughs> you mentioned the swinging door play by Dillingham. I, let's talk about the fourth down play here. I, 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 I will say this. I will let you go, but I'll say this. I am a fan of a team who has a ballsy coach. Jonathan Smith goes for it on fourth down. I personally love going for it on fourth down. Punting sucks. There are moments, though, with play calling and decision making on fourth downs where you either have to tell yourself, is this the right play, or should I play this safe? And we can play this game all day where Dirt's going to make his point, I'm going to make my point, <laughs> nobody's right. <laughs> well, but, technically you're right because the outcome of the game impacted it. So you had a backup center because Forsyth had a dead arm. You had a backup right guard, and I know he's basically a starting back because he's so damn talented, but you technically had your backup running back, and you had a backup quarterback in on fourth and short on the... On your side of the field. Yeah, about the 35-ish, 40-yard line. And I, I like being ballsy, man. I do. I just, I think because of all the backup situations going on, I know the defense hadn't gotten stopped. I would rather make Washington do what they did to Oregon State. If you're going to earn it, go the full length. I didn't like that call. But I don't think you should be all pissed at Dan Lanning because you want a ballsy coach. Sometimes it's just not going to go your way. Only correction there, Forsyth was in the game on that fourth down play. He, he was still in the game at that point. Uh, so that was the only correction there. Here's where I just... Are you positive? Positive. I'm that? looking at a screenshot of the play right now. Okay. 78 is the center when, of the play. Okay, so he was out the play before. The drive before that was the drive that Nick's got hurt, and he was snapping it high and really grabbing his shoulder, and it felt like right. things were not going well for him. Right. I don't know if he was out the play before. I didn't watch that closely, so I'm not sure on that drive. Because I know he left for a play. They showed yes. the kid coming in that backed up. On the fourth down play, I'm looking at got the it. screen grab of him handing the ball off to Whittington, and Forsyth is in at center. So that's the only correction there. Um... Here's what I'll say. Uh, I I actually love the call. <laughs> I, I did. Now, here my logic of it is this. Your, your side of this argument is right because these decisions are judged on did they work or did they not work. I always try and go to what was I saying in the moment? How did I feel in the moment? Here, here's my logic on this. One, this is who you've been all year, right? Like it, you did this against BYU in your own territory multiple times in a game that was up for grabs in the second half. You did this against UCLA multiple times in your own territory in a game that was up for grabs. Dan Lanning at the end of the first half, end of the first half, 
quarterback sneaked it on like fourth and two with like 40 seconds left that if you don't get it would have handed Washington an easy field goal opportunity, if not another touchdown. Mm-hmm. And Oregon ended up getting a field goal attempt that came up way short. I was standing by the goalpost that came up way short. But this has been your identity all year. This is what you have done. And what is it ha- you know, what has the outcome been all year? It's worked for you in these kind of situations. If I'm a head coach, I go into these big-time game-defining moments and I ask myself, would I rather leave the game in the, in the hands of my offensive line or would I rather leave the game in the hands of my defense? And that, to me, is an easy answer. The offensive line is the strength of this football team. It has been the strength of the football team all year. Your defense has been an issue all year, and especially on Saturday night. And I had, whether you didn't get the first down or whether you punted it, I had exactly zero confidence that you were going to get a stop, whether you made them drive or not. I get your arguments. I get why people felt the way they did, like checking in on Twitter after the game. It was coaching malpractice to everybody. I understand why people have that opinion. I do. You didn't get it. You had a backup quarterback in the game. He slipped and you handed Washington a field goal. You ended up losing by three. I just, when you've been aggressive all season, when that's been your M.O. all season, I didn't mind the call. The issue that I had with it and the mistake that Dan Lanning made was to not call a timeout and put Bo Nix back in the game. Because well, Bo, Bo Nix was seen running, running to up him, to like, him, I'm good, I'm and good. And it was fourth down, yeah. and there was about 15 seconds left on the play clock, and Bo Nix was standing there begging to go back into the game. I didn't realize that at the time. It was something I saw later uh, when I got back, and I was you know like a sadistic weirdo. I watched the game on the DVR, sure. and I saw that moment, and I thought, are you kidding me? That, to me, was the mistake there. Fourth down, you got two, maybe, I can't remember how many. Two timeouts. Two timeouts timeouts, left. So, like, call a timeout. Fourth down, I mean, that's the defining play of the game. If he tells you he's okay, you get Ty Thompson out of there, you put Bo Nix back in, and then you have the threat of something else happening. But at the end of the day, Whittington slipped. And if he doesn't slip, he's got a shot at picking up that first down. It just didn't go your way. I think the tough thing there, and we'll get to landing here in just a second, landing doesn't see Bo Nix, so he runs the play. This is this is mainly why my pushback is is here again. As a fan of a coach who goes for it on fourth down, and sometimes fans hate it, but I love it. My only pushback is I don't want that play because I'm telling you right now I'm not a football coach, and I'm sitting in my living room, going, "Oh, oh, Ty Thompson ain't throwing here. This yeah. is the most obvious of run plays ever." So even if he doesn't slip. I have to go back and look at that, but I thought I looked at that twice, and I thought, I don't even know if he gets it if he doesn't slip. There's a chance for He had to put the brakes on because Washington had great pressure great off of the left side, yeah. and he tried to put the brakes on and cut back and to the, the left, yeah. and that's when his legs slipped and, and I just thought, that's why I kick there, is yes, your defense had struggled, but at least they had held Washington to the old field goal there to take the lead late, which ended up being kind of the game changer. You miss Bo Nix going in. That's unfortunate. I don't want to do the most obvious play with my backup and who I know is not. Washington knew that Ty Thompson wasn't throwing that football. Or probably running it. And so I think that's the tough thing is it just becomes more fairly obvious what you're doing and the element of surprise is gone. If you have Bo Nix in there, buddy, you could run some play action, a little bootleg, maybe you hand the ball off, maybe even throw it, and that element is basically taken out because it's evident that Ty Thompson doesn't have whatever it is Elevated him to be a five-star kid. It may, not at Oregon. It ain't happening at Oregon for him. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, it didn't work. Here was Dan Lanning in the post game. This was with Joey Mack. Game's over immediately. Dan Lanning taking a lot of the responsibility. Well, Coach, I know that's a hurt locker room right now. What was the message after the game? Well, we got here, uh, you know, in the same situation, being together. That's not going to change because of the result of the game. That one's 100% on me. You know, our guys are going to come to work ready to, to get better and improve. And a lot of moments you want to have back in that game, we're going to study them hard and figure out how we can play better ball moving forward. 
talking about the first half, a little bit of a defensive one, and you said at halftime just a few min- too many mistakes, shooting yourself in the foot, and then in the second half, but offense has got going. Uh, just break it down for us, the difference of the two halves. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we were able to um, take advantage of the things that we saw there offensively, and then we were, weren't really able to get stops there defensively in the second half. Like you said, it kind of flopped. Um, certainly have to do a better job, you know, and, and uh, there's a lot of moments in there, but I think most of that falls on me. You, know, you talk about always going back to the doctor. Is it just some of those big moments, those key moments that you're going to be looking at the most this week? Yeah, there's a lot of one plays, you know, that could have been an impact. When you talk about one score game, there's a lot of single individual plays that can be an impact on a game like this. So um, we certainly have to attack and get better. And I know a lot of fans wondering, too, guys getting dinged up. That was an impact in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's an excuse, right? We have, we have uh, good football players on our team. We can go play to win games. What's the next step uh, for this team? What are you guys going to look at next week? Study the film, go to work. We're going to be playing a good Utah team, you know, and uh, our, our approach hasn't changed. Every week we come back and go to work. All right, Coach, thanks for always taking the time. Appreciate it. So there's Dan Lanning uh, here on 1080 The Fan. That was in the postgame with Joey Mack. Uh, says it's all on me. And no excuses with injuries. I bet he wishes he would have saw Bo Nix flagging him down. for the He saw him. Play. He talked to him. I mean, there was a mo- he looked at him and said, okay, and he told him to hold on. Bad. No, there's no holding on. Call the yeah, that's that's the you moment got, you that I call that timeout. Yeah, man. I, I see. It, here, the other part of it too is that I, uh, an unknown part of Oregon's football team this year because yeah. they haven't had to do it a ton. Mm-hmm. Their their punter's horrible. Yeah, there's, their punting is like sure. the worst in the country, and so I think that was a part of the decision too. Of like, even if I punt, am I going to get a net gain of like twenty yards and punt it to him at midfield? But right, that would have. I mean, that you still slightly give your defense sure. a better. Are shot. they getting a stop? Well, I mean. <laughs> And that's something that's a little overlooked, I think, in recruiting. Special teams have been lacking. As far as the specifically the kicking and punting game for Oregon, we're not expecting kids to kick 60-yard field goals. That's not what I'm asking. But a competent punter, good God, they can send it more than 30 yards. I feel like I, I could be wrong here. I feel like Oregon's not had good special teams for 20 years. It's been a long time. <laughs> I think Siegel, <laughs> uh, the last good kicker was Siegel, Jason. back in, like, Joey Harrington days. All right, a well, a little ago. more on this coming up. We'll get to Oregon State. Uh, the Pac-12 title game, how's it looking? What's the path? And the teams involved are all playing this week, and so that's pretty exciting. But a little more on this Oregon-Washington. We'll do it next. But first, Jordan with Sports Update. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This is Dirt and Sprague on 1080, The Fan. All right, a couple of final thoughts here, and then uh, I do. I want to get to your beeves, man. I was really impressed with what Oregon State did on Saturday night. Bouncing back from a tough emotional loss and winning. You didn't see Wilcox on the broadcast, did you? No, I Josh. did not. Josh Wilcox was on the broadcast? Not the actual, like... Play-by-play? Yeah, they show him in the stands or something? They showed him on the field with his brother. He's wearing a cow jacket, and both Wilcox bros are looking up, and they, uh, 
the mic caught them. They're looking at the news side. And it's, we probably missed part of the conversation that was important. Uh-huh. But who cares about context? His brother, Justin, looks up and goes, yeah, that must be all the new stuff, huh? And Josh is like, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> That's great. I love it. But uh, it's nice to see Josh. I haven't seen Josh is. in a long time. It's nice to see Josh? him. Uh, he was in Corvallis. That's great. Uh, they did. Oregon State, you made a bunch of coaches get fired this weekend. Look at you, firing coaches, putting people out of business down there in Corvallis. That's what huh? we do, baby. <laughs> uh, a couple of final thoughts from me. I, you know, I, I think the question now becomes, and we were just talking about this a little bit in the break, like, where where does Oregon go from here? I you know I, I think there's two fascinating games in the conference that is likely going to decide the Pac-12 championship. Somebody texted in and said, "What's the path for Washington to get to the Pac-12 title?" Uh, and so I'm trying to like figure that out in my head. So you would you, Oregon only has one loss. You need Oregon to lose again, whether it be this weekend or the Civil War. You need USC to win. You need USC to beat UCLA because then UCLA would have three conference losses. The tough part is though, you would need Oregon. To beat Utah and then lose to Oregon State. Because if Oregon loses to Utah, Utah's only other game left is Colorado. And do we think Colorado can beat Utah? Probably not. Right? Even though I know Arizona just shocked the world. Probably not. And then Utah would have one conference loss. So you're threading a very fine needle of USC has to beat UCLA because UCLA has the tiebreaker over you. And then you need Oregon to beat Utah. But even then, I don't know if you would get in because there's a, then it would come to a tiebreaker scenario between Washington and Utah. They would both have two conference losses. So it's a, it's a very steep mountain to climb. And I think the – I looked this up earlier in the year because I was wondering if we're going to get a weird t- scenario. It's like a common opponent score. It's like you get, you're getting into the weeds at that point of what the tiebreaker scenario would be. But how do we feel about Oregon and them bouncing back? Because they got to go play Utah now this weekend in a 7.30 kick on ESPN. Well, I'd say lucky for them they don't have to go. Utah has to come here. Sure, they get, um, yeah, very true. I, I think that's the the benefit for them. I, I don't think a loss is going to change how I feel about that game. I mean, it's Vegas is telling you it's a coin flip, and I, I think that's the right call here. You kind of tend to lean home team advantage, but Utah's built. They got experience. Their quarterback's tough as hell. Yeah, Rising's back. They're playing well. They've kind of found their groove again the last couple weeks. They blew out Stanford in that second half. I, I think if you're Oregon, you're just you're looking for something defensively. You're looking for some life because that performance was. I mean, it was bad. And so now you go into this Utah game. Utah doesn't have the strongest defense this year. I think you can score and move the ball on that Utah defense. But what's Utah going to do offensively? Can they move the ball through the air effectively? If Washington can run the football, I tend to want to think that, that Utah is going to run the football. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a give-up spot for Oregon here. Oregon still has their path there. Um, USC is kind of what you're looking at in terms of, like, is USC really going to go through the conference with, with just one conference loss? They lost Travis Dye this weekend uh, for the rest of the season. I, I don't know how to feel right now on a Monday about Utah-Oregon. Uh, just because, well, Utah didn't play anybody, and Oregon's coming off such an emotional rivalry game, and it's a 7.30 kick, so it's destined to be one of the weirdest games of the weekend. <laughs> it is going to be wild. I will say, the, the last thought, on, we got a poll question on this, by the way, just what, what will Oregon's final record be? You can go vote at Turton Sprague. Uh, 10-2 and two is the number one answer right now. 35% didn't say 9-3, and three, so you think you, they get tripped up either by Utah or Oregon State. We didn't ask for specific win-loss records the rest of the way. The last thought I have on it, and we didn't really bring this up much, but we've kind of hinted around it. I, Oregon has had an issue this year at times of hurting themselves 
and I felt like it just it, it was one of those things that you kind of filed away earlier in the season with penalties, kind of dumb mistakes that were costly, but you were playing a Stanford or you were playing an Arizona or, yeah. you, you know, you're playing an inferior opponent and you were able to overcome it and win the game by 30 points and cover the spread. This was one where it, it reared its ugly head at some really critical times for you. Like, I go even all the way back to the first drive of the game for Oregon. They were moving it pretty consistently. There were a couple of injuries that kind of slowed the pace of it down. They would have had a first and goal at the three-yard line. Instead, they had a hands-to-the-face penalty on an offensive lineman that went from first and goal at the three to first and 25 at, like, the 30, and you end up having to settle. Like, it's a hard – first and 25 is a hard thing to overcome. They couldn't overcome it. You have to settle for a field goal on that drive. It just it was little things like that that you look back on and you say instead of a 7-7 game it's 7-3 because of a hands of the face penalty the drop you know the, the fumbled snap the high snap later in the game like there were little moments that you just you shot yourself in the foot and when you're in a tight ball game you've been able to overcome it this year because you're just more talented than everybody else but you finally met a team that came ready to play and, and had a lot of talent that could that could take advantage of your weaknesses and it ended up costing Oregon and so the Ducks drop a game eight game winning streak comes to an end and now we see where do they go from here how do you feel about that game? I have no clue how to feel about that game. Confidence is out the it's window. It's kind of yeah. I was gonna say it's kind of crazy when you lose an unexpected game like that, and th- certain things get exposed that you kind of then go, "Well, crap, we got Utah coming to our town, and then we go to Corvallis." So, like that's your last two games. It's funny how the the emotional pendulum can swing so fast from one direction to the other. Oregon a week ago is talking about, <laughs> "Hey, maybe the playoff is actually here," and now Oregon State fan is like, "We could finish ahead of Oregon." <laughs> What a Pac-12 we have. And the Beavs are coming off a tough emotional loss to Washington. Yeah. And are they going to beat Cal? Right, Can right. they beat ASU? Oh, I still don't know how to right? feel about this team. And now they're bouncing back. I, to what Jordan brought this up earlier, uh, we were talking during a break, but I think that the toughest part of this for Duck fan is your last three full seasons, this is the way your season has gone. Yeah. Yep. 2019, you lost the opener to Auburn. You rattled off all those wins in a row. You're like, hey, here we go. Got a shot. You drop it at ASU. ASU. Last year, you lose the game early to Stanford. You're like, what the hell was that? But then you survive from then on out. You're like, hey, we got a chance. You go to Salt Lake City. You get your ass beat. Yep. And then this year, it's the same thing. You lose to Georgia. You rattle off eight in a row. You're looking great the entire time. And I feel like there's a direct correlation for me as a fan. The moment I finally start to buy in and fully believe is the moment the rug gets pulled out. So that's my lesson for year's future. I'm just not going to buy in and believe in year's future. Yeah, I think at this, this point, one's on me. you just say, well, nobody in this conference <laughs> is going to the playoff anymore, and they're going to find a way to throw up all over themselves. Ah, the Pac-12. It's a glorious thing, isn't it? Let's get to your beeves, though, man. They bounce back in a big way. The quarterback position is still a question, but what a dominating win over Cal on Saturday night. How are we feeling about the beeves getting a seven win, seven and three? We'll dive into that next on The Fam. I got a little change in my pocket going This is Dirt and Sprague on 1080, The Fan. Well, for anybody driving down I-5 on Saturday, you thought, hey, uh, hey, there must be two games going on. There were two games going on because traffic was a nightmare, I heard, for a lot of folks. I, uh, I was golfing, and the golf course we were at was a little farther out, and the normal way home was not the route the map took us. And my brother-in-law goes, why Why are we going this way? Like, we're in the middle of nowhere. 
And I go, well, there are two Oregon, there are two football games going on, and they're relatively close in kick time, and that's usually a disaster zone. You had a four o'clock and a six o'clock kick. Yeah, a lot of people on I five South. Lots, a lot of people. I live in Wilsonville, so I get to see that every time. <laughs> yeah. Get to see the get the two exits just get packed yeah. into town. It's fun. Just jammed up. Well, one fan base is happy in the state. One was not. We already talked about the one was not. So let's talk about the one that is happy, and that is Oregon State. This is the second time now this year that I have looked at the Beavers and questioned everything about them and have been proven completely wrong. The last time I did this to them was when they were at home against Washington State. They were coming off losses to USC, a blowout loss to Utah, and a miracle win against Stanford. The Cougs came to town, and I thought, I, I don't know. I don't know if I like this spot for them. Washington State could play some defense. Cam Ward's kind of a magician. What did they do? They smothered Washington State. They won the game easily by a couple of scores. They covered the spread. We all took Washington State, I believe, that week to cover the number. And then you fast forward. You're coming off an emotional loss, a game that you probably could have, should have won. <laughs> Fan bases are feeling similar about that against the Huskies. You left some points on the table. You're like, damn it. We gave up a late, you gave up a late score. You had every chance to win that game. Emotional loss. Cal's coming in feeling decent because they finally got their offense going. And what happens? I mean, it's oh, it's over in the first quarter. The yeah. game's over ten minutes into the game. It's fourteen nothing. How are the Beavers? Feel, uh, how are you guys feeling? Well, I think I think everybody, if you're rooting for Oregon State, I think you're ecstatic about what you saw on Saturday. I I'm still sitting here a little unsure of how to feel because uh, ASU's kind of feisty and it's an 11 a.m. kick, and now you're a touchdown and a half favorite going into a, a road game. You take care of business. You set up one of the bigger Oregon Oregon State games we've had in a long time. It's the biggest um, one. In, I mean, I, off the top of my head, the biggest one in 10 years at least. It's, what's crazy about this is, and I, it's so easy to play this game for a lot of teams, but like this really, when you look at the landscape of the conference, Dirt, the way that defense is playing, you know I don't do this very often with that program. They, they, I continue every week to just be like, hey, we're one position away from maybe being the best team in the conference because their defense is truly elite. Like they, their pass rush is good. Uh, it's been good enough for what they are. Mm-hmm. Their secondary play has been elite. Their linebacking play has been awesome. And every week I watch these teams just not look how they you think they're going to look. Like Cal isn't the greatest offensive example here, but Cal couldn't do anything. I mean, they were completely taken out of that thing. I think USC's offense coming to Corvallis, completely taken out of that thing. For a large portion of the game, Washington wasn't destroying them offensively. Hell, the final point was 20 points so like they have an elite defense and you just don't know how often you're going to have that but I think riding the ship coming home Cal could maybe be a feisty team an underrated team to maybe hang with you coming off such an emotional loss to Washington and being able to respond that way I think that's kind of the character and identity of this team is their their ability to respond and not allow emotional tough losses to completely bog down their season and as close as they were against Stanford, as you mentioned, to respond against Wazoo the way that they did, uh, I think it just kind of shows the character and the heart and the kind of the grit of their team, as cliche as some of that stuff is. I think it's real in Corvallis right now. They still don't have a quarterback. <laughs> I, he he had some plays where I'm just like, what are we doing? Like Jack Coletto probably threw the prettiest ball of the night. He probably did. On yeah. a trick play where they thought he was going to take it. He throws a bomb to Gold, <laughs> who ends up diving for the ball and getting it. And so what do you get the next two weeks? I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I know you'll get a, a hell of a fight from the defense. Your run game is pretty good right now, even though Fenwick's dealing with it and Jam Griffin didn't get a ton of carries. Damian Martinez is running like a madman right now. And so I at least know that that's what you're going to get from Oregon State. But another week of me just telling you, great win. 
I'm, I'm, I still don't know because you're you're playing from behind at that position. Yeah, will that th- will that come back to bite you at some point if you're in a close game or if you are trailing? I, at least with a bad quarterback, you need to be able to rely on a good defense, and Oregon State has been able to do that all year. It is funny. We were talking on the on the pregame show on Saturday, and we brought this game up, and Anthony had mentioned that he uh, is obviously close to Jaden Grant. Jaden Grant's da- dating his daughter, and they go over film every week, and he begrudgingly roots for Jaden Grant even though he hates Oregon State. But, I, you know, I, I brought this game up and said, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about this one. Oregon State's coming off of a tough loss. Arizona State, or excuse me, Cal is coming off of getting their offense going finally against USC. How much of that is Cal figuring things out? How much of that is USC's defense not being good? And he said, you know, I talked to Jaden this week. You know what he told me? It's the best week of practice they've had all year. Yeah. Best week of practice. And then you turn on the game and you're like, yeah, it looked like it. That doesn't always translate because I had a lot of folks come up on Saturday and say who were around Oregon practice saying it was one of their best week of practices all year and it didn't translate to the field. For Oregon State, it clearly did. And their defense is going to give them a chance to win their last two games. And I, I you, th- you start thinking about the idea of Oregon State potentially going 9-3, and three, even 8-4. and four. It's a tremendous season for them having such a liability and weakness at the most important position on the field. Well, what's frustrating is how close you are to being a one-loss conference team than you are the three. Now, Stanford, yes, is the anomaly in the the, the win factor for you. But, sure, but you would be alive in the Pac-12 title race in well, the conference championship race. But on the quarterback note, like if you have a if you have a competent quarterback, you probably win the USC game. I think you win UW, and I think you blow out Stanford. Like, they just don't have quarterback play. It, it's put them in so many bad positions where they've come up short or they've had to eke out a win. And it's frustrating because this is a year where UCLA is really good. Oregon, really good. USC, really good. Washington, pretty good. I feel like Oregon State is in that conversation with those teams. Mm -hmm. And I'll be curious to see what happens these next two weeks. Oregon's got Utah coming, and Oregon State goes to the desert. I cannot wait for the last game of the year because I (laughs) genuinely think it's going to be a good, close football game. And Oregon State's defense is is going to give them as much say as you possibly can. It's just a matter of will they be able to run the football in Oregon. Do we want to start taking guesses at what the line's going to be for that game? I mean, this week will have something to do with it. it it'll have Oregon wins, Oregon State loses, or vice versa. That'll that'll sway the line a little bit. I I would be I'll be pleasantly surprised if it's anything the other way. But my gut would say Oregon is a four and a half. That's what it feels like favorite. about right now. Just I think inside a touchdown. Right in that, right inside the touchdown at a touchdown mark. Road. So now you got a road favorite. You got a home dog, and it's a rivalry game. <laughs> and you know the playoff might not be on the line, but the Pac-12 championship game for Oregon could, could be. be on the line, and a really good bowl game for Oregon State. And nine wins potentially could be on the line. So yes, do we get ahead of ourselves? Ahead of ourselves on this show? <laughs> we do all the time. We did it last week. We're doing it again. But if they take care of business in Eugene uh, and in Cor- and and in uh, Tempe, man, it sets up the last game of the year to be a doozy. Would be a lot of fun, man. Biggest civil war in a long, long time. We got a poll question up after Sprague on Twitter. What is Oregon State's final record going to be? We got one on Oregon as well, and uh, you can go vote. At Dirt and Spray, got 1080 to fan. You can find that, and uh, we'll rattle off some results of that at the end of the show. A couple other NFL notes I want to get to in the final hour. Uh, uh, Sprague put up a Pac-12 question yesterday, and I'm curious where people are at. Who are you voting as of right now? What's your gut telling you? And we'll give you the responses of that so far. Some other notes out of college football. It's going to be loaded on a Monday. Final hour to go anywhere. Dirt and Spray on 1080 to fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.